So a couple of weeks ago, we dropped off our third of four kids at college at DBU. Dub is uh, at DBU going to college. He starts real classes tomorrow. He took like a one-week class to kind of ease his way into that. And so we, we did that whole experience again. It's our third time, so I felt like a veteran. I'm not a rookie at this. But the feelings still come back. There's a, there's a weird feeling just... If you've done that before, you know. If you haven't done that before, it's coming. It's just this weird moment where you're kind of wondering if I, if I did enough. Did, did I give him enough instruction? Does he know everything he needs to know? Like, does Dub know how to change a flat tire if he has that happen? I mean, he's 45 whole minutes away. Like, will he be able to survive? And so we're moving them in. Uh, he's rooming with Mason Whaley, who's also a member of the church. They've been friends here for a while, and he's rooming. So we've got all the families, and we're moving them into their dorm. And the moms are doing their decorating thing, which is always really fun to decorate a, a, a boy's dorm because you know it's not going to last a week, right? Like it's going to be destroyed. But like they're doing their decorating stuff and all the things. And, and, and then after taking a bunch of pictures inside, the moms decided, really Paige Whaley decided she wanted one more picture outside uh, of, the, of the front of the dorm with the name of the dorm behind it, some kind of tradition in their family where their older kids had done that. And so I was all on board with this because the boys were not. Like, they didn't want to do another picture. They were so done with pictures. I'm like, yes, we need at least one more picture. And so we moved out, and we got in front of the dorm. We got the two boys there. And it was then, it was like, I knew the goodbye was about to happen. I knew we were about to say goodbye and leave him there and all those different kinds of things. And we're going to... we're. There was some weirdness for me because I was going to only have, Tammy and I were going to have one child at home, Glory, and that's weird, and it's really weird for her because I've told her, you're the only one I have here, so I'm going to be all up in your business all the time. And so y'all can pray for her because she is not excited about that at all, but I'm like, I got nothing else to do except follow you around. And so... The, the feelings were coming, like, did we do enough? Is he really ready for this? Is he prepared for this? And I could feel it, and when I feel that, and like, instead of like leaning into it, I like to stir things up. And so I just decided, I'm going to see if I can get the Whaley's to kind of like feel that feeling too and start throwing out advice. And so I just said, hey, man, don't forget to brush your teeth every day, at least twice a day. You need to brush your teeth. You need to floss, too. Don't forget to floss. You have flossers? Do we need, you need to go get some flossers. And, man, Stephen Whaley jumped right in there with me. I mean, we just started throwing stuff at them like it was the last, you know, time we'll ever talk to them. Like, we were like, hey, clean up after yourself. Make sure you go to class. Don't skip class. Go to chapel. Do your homework. Find a study group. Talk to the girls. Don't be creepy. Like, all those different kinds of things. We're just throwing all the advice. Like, Stephen at one point was like, yeah, make sure you got clean underwear on. I'm like, that's just timeless advice for whatever reason. And we just like, everything you can think of, we just started hammering them with stuff. Like, do you have your insurance card? All these different kinds of things. They don't even know what that is. And they're like, golly, stop, you know? We're just trying to smile for a picture. It's just that feeling like, oh, it's the, my last moment to tell them some instruction. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Paul kind of seems to feel that way from time to time. He gets to the end of his letters and it's almost like Paul's like, oh, I'm about, to, I'm about to stop talking. I'm about to stop writing, and I need to make sure you know some things. And it's like he just kind of throws out a bunch of advice right at the end. If you read through and look at Paul's letters, the way we've kind of organized it, which is not, Paul wouldn't have put the subheadings in there, but the way we put subheadings kind of shows that because there's so many of his letters that the last section is like Paul, Paul's final instructions or his final warning. It's like Paul's getting to the end of his letter, and it's like, oh, I forgot to tell him this and this and this and this. Make sure you do this and this and this. And as we're in Philippians chapter 4, and we've been walking through this letter all summer, he's got, 
gotten to that point where he's about to close up the letter, and it kind of feels that way, doesn't it? It kind of feels like he's just throwing out that last advice to his, his students, his, his, his family. Hey, rejoice always. I must say it again, rejoice. Be reasonable to everybody. Let it be shown. Let it be known by everybody. He's, he's just throwing out this advice. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And then he gets to this verse 8, and he just throws down a huge list of things that we should be thinking about. A huge, hey, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, that's what you ought to be thinking about. Fill your mind with these things. And he's giving this last advice, just this rattling off a bunch of imperatives, a bunch of instruction, a bunch of commands. We just kind of see it over and over and over. And maybe Paul's feeling that. I mean, I don't know what Paul's really feeling. Maybe he's feeling that urgency, that, that pressure, like this is my last time to talk to them maybe. But I do know this. It seems like there's some, some weight to what he's saying. It seems like there's some importance to it. If you just think about the fact that he knows that this is the last thing he's about to say and he seals that letter and sends it off, there's some urgency. There's some importance. I, I want to make sure I say some things that are really, really going to stick with them as he closes out that letter. That seems to be what he's doing. And so there's a lot of importance to what he says here because what he's doing is he's talking about the importance of our thought life. He's talking about the importance of what's going on inside of our minds and how crucial that is to everything that we do. Who we are and, and how we interact with the world, man, it starts with what we're thinking. This Christian life that God calls us to is a battle. We talk about that a lot. The Bible talks about the, it's a spiritual battle that we're in. That battle sometimes is won or lost in our minds. That battleground in our minds is so, so important that Paul takes a whole verse just to say, you need to be filling your mind with these things. You need to be thinking about these things and gives us this list to kind of contemplate and think about, like, what does this look like? Because it's that important. Here's what one of the commentators, Dennis e. Johnson, says about it. Paul knows that the thoughts that occupy our minds and the images that capture our imaginations shape our characters and find expression in our behavior. What we're thinking about in our mind is shaping who we are. And then it's showing up in our behavior, how we live, which is where we're going with this in verse 9. We'll, we'll get there, but this importance of how we're thinking is what Paul's talking about. The, the significance that how you think is shaping your character, it's shaping who you are, it's shaping you as a person because your thoughts are that important. And so he wants to point us to that. He wants to give us a list. Now, he does this list by naming off all these different qualities or these things that we should be thinking about, but he says the word whatever over and over and over again. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure. That word whatever is kind of funny, right? I mean, we, <laughs> it's not really a positive word in, in, our, in our culture. It's kind of the word we just throw out there when uh, something goes bad, something didn't go right. Like, well, that didn't go the way I wanted it to go. Whatever, you know, let's we'll just move on. That was not what I expected, but whatever. I'll just, I'll just figure it out. It's, it's kind of that throwaway word sometimes. You ever just don't know what to say to someone and you just end up saying whatever? I mean, it could be as simple as a greeting. Like, hey, how are you doing today? How was your week? Ah, whatever. Like, you just move on, right? So it's a throwaway word, but here's what Paul's doing. He's kind of redeeming that word. And he's saying, hey, you got a lot of different options of what you can think about, what you can be filling your mind with. And I want you to find whatever is true. I want you to find whatever is honorable. I want you to find whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is commendable, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent. I want you to fill your mind with these things. Whatever out there is, fits those categories, grab it and fill your mind with it. 
And so the words that he gives, the whatevers that he walks us through are all positive. You can say they're very positive. And I want to, I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about that because here's what, here's what tends to happen. The world, like, when on the outside looking into Christianity, a lot of people see Christianity as just another religion with rules and do's and don'ts. Hey, you don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's, it's, it's almost like there's do's and don'ts, but it's, the emphasis is on the don'ts. It's the, the way the world sometimes, and maybe you've thought that before you became a Christ follower, that Christianity is just another religion with a bunch of rules. The Bible presents a very, very different picture of the reality of what God is calling us to. Now, there are obviously some don'ts. There are some boundaries that God puts in place. He, he puts fences. He puts boundaries. He says, don't go over here. Don't go past this. Don't do this. Those boundaries are there for our, our well-being, for our safety. For, they're, they're the best thing for us. We need to stay inside this. He's, there, he's trying to protect us. He's looking out for us. But for the most part, when you see the Bible, what it calls us to, it's calling us to a positive picture. It's calling us to a vision for our lives that's just better. There are these restrictions for our safety and our benefit. For the most part, the Bible's saying, hey, if you'll follow Jesus, if you'll do this, if you'll add this to your life, if you'll do this, it'll be better. And the Bible's calling us and always presenting for us a better way to live, a life with purpose and meaning, fulfillment and satisfaction and joy and peace, all those things, is presenting the path for that. So when Paul starts off and he's in this verse and he's just going to give us all these things to fill our mind with, all these things that we should be thinking about, he stays away from the negative. He doesn't give a big list of, hey, don't think about this and don't think about that and don't, don't do this because you know how that works. He says, don't think about it and all of a sudden we're thinking about it. Instead, he gives us a positive view of this. Instead of the negative don'ts, it's, hey, fill your mind with these things. The, the negatives will kind of take care of themselves. They'll be assumed in that whole process. But you fill your mind with these things, and you'll find that this is, this is really where you find purpose. This is really where you find meaning. This is really where you find joy and peace, satisfaction, all those things. When I fill my mind with these things, and then all of a sudden, there's not enough room for all this negative stuff, all these other things. It kind of, they get kind of pushed out because you're actively filling your mind with these things. And so he presents us a list of positive things to fill our mind with. And, the, and I just want to walk through it, and then we're on the other side of it, we'll make some observations about what this could look like in our lives and, and the challenge that's there. But each word I think we need to spend a little bit of time with because the, the way he unpacks this, I think it helps us to understand every word as it informs our thought life. So the first word is true. Here's what he says, whatever is true. Whatever is true is what we ought to be filling our mind with. In the Bible, sometimes you'll see lists, and most often, the first one's the most important one. The first one's getting the emphasis. It's not always the case, but most often. This one, I think, is very much a case example for that. Whatever is true is crucial. Filling our minds with the truth is so crucial to the life that God is calling us to and understanding uh, everything in the right way. And the reason why this is crucial is because our temptation, our tendency is to believe lies. We are so quick to believe lies, tell ourselves lies, and let lies inform how we see the world and how we see how we relate in it. And, and, and this is not a new thing, right? This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So all the way back to Adam and Eve and perfection, created all these things, all this freedom, all this fellowship with God. And the serpent, the devil comes as a serpent and he wants to 
destroy that. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take that away. And so he attacks them. And how does he attack them? With a lie. He's just throwing lies. That's his tactic. If he can lie and get us to believe a lie, then it will destroy everything that God has created. It will destroy our relationship. And so he comes to them and says, hey, did God really say, first he's just twisting the truth a little bit. Did God really say you can't eat any of this fruit? And like, they're, they're saying no. He said just not that one tree. He said if we eat that one, the fruit of that one tree, then we'll die. And what does he say next? Oh, you won't die. Immediately planting the seed of a lie. He says you won't die. Instead, God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because if you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll see the knowledge of good and evil and you'll be just like God. You'll be just as smart as him. And so the lie that was planted in Adam and Eve that made them take the fruit was that God was withholding something good from you. He's keeping something that you really need. He's keeping it from you. He's controlling you by keeping something that you really would, would really be good. He's trying to keep you in submission. He's, he's lying to them, and they believe the lie. They take the fruit, and they ate it. And that tactic that he used in the Garden of Eden to destroy like the world, to bring sin into the world, is the same tactic he uses for me and with you and me today. The reason why we drift from time to time, the reason why we wander away from the path that God has for us is most often because we started believing a lie. Because the servant came and he said, you can't trust God. You can't trust that he's really for you, that he really wants what's best for you. He's withholding something good. And as soon as we believe that same lie, I don't know if I can trust God. I think he's withholding something from me. I think there's something out there that he's trying to keep me away from. Then we wander away from following him and we start pursuing and valuing and treasuring other things. We start looking for our security and significance in something that can't give it to us. But we believe the lie that God's not really for us, that God's not really on our side, that God doesn't really love us. He doesn't care about us. We believe those lies, and it starts to erode everything, starts to destroy everything about how we understand God and understand the world. When we stop trusting God because we're believing these lies, everything else changes. I stop trusting God, so I don't want to follow him. I don't want to, I don't want to worship him. I want to live for him. I don't want to sacrifice for him. I, I don't trust that he's really for me. When I'm not trusting God, guess what? I stop trusting all the people around me. I'm looking at you guys with suspicious eyes. Like, I, I don't know if I can trust these people. Because why? Because I don't trust God. When I don't trust God that he's in control, all of a sudden I won't trust anybody. And ultimately, I won't even trust myself. I'll start to tell myself lies about who I am, how, 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 how messed up I am, and how I'll never get to where God wants me. And all of a sudden I start writing myself off. I start being defeated. Guess what comes in? Depression, anxiety, worry, stress, all those things we're fighting against, they all creep in because I start believing lies instead of filling my mind with the truth. That's why this is so crucial. When I fill my mind with the truth, and you understand the truth comes from God's word, and when I see who God is and what he's done for me, it changes everything. It changes my identity. I see God loved me enough to pursue me, to send his son to die on a cross for me, to rescue me, to give me hope where there was no hope, and that changes forever how I see myself in the world. I'm accepted by God. I'm loved by God. I'm valued by God. Even though I didn't bring him anything or offer anything, he does that because of his unconditional love and pursuit of me, and when I get that truth and I plant it in my head, it changes how I see the world. When I see what he's done for me, I realize I can trust him. 
I can live for him. I can follow him. I can really, he really is for me. He really does love me. He demonstrated his love for me that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we have to fight for the truth. We have to, we have to win the battle of not believing the lies, reject the lies, and embrace the truth, lean into the truth, and fill our mind with things that are true. And that comes from his word. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later, but that's the source of truth. In a world and a culture that says there's no absolute truth, that's one of the main messages that our pagan culture is trying to communicate to us. That there's no absolute truth. Truth is relative. Truth is subjective. Whatever you think is true is true for you. Keep it to yourself, but that's fine. That's a slope that's headed to destruction. It's a slope where we're headed in destruction. We're in a handbasket, basically. That will never work. And this, this truth that God is calling us to is absolute. The world says no truth is absolute. God says no, no, no. This truth is absolute. There is an absolute truth that you can hang everything on, that you can trust in. And God's word contains that absolute truth. And so we have to fight for that. And the battle in our minds is so often won or lost by whether we're believing lies or we're believing the truth. And you know it's true. There's so many examples we could do. We could spend the whole time really just talking about that, how easy it is for us to get off track because we believe some lies. And we have to figure out how to fill our mind with the truth and tell ourselves the truth. And get people around us that will remind us of the truth. Because it's just easy for every single one of us to believe the lie. Whatever is true, he says, fill your mind with those things. And he says, whatever is honorable. Second word is honorable. That word means noble or dignified or lofty or elevated. It's a, it's a, it's a higher view of things. It's an honorable thing. It's thoughts that lift us up and encourage us rather than thoughts that drag us down. That's honorable thoughts. Think about things that are honorable. Think about things that will pull you up, will lift you up, will point you towards Jesus and put you on the right path. Think about those things. Fill your minds with honorable things is what Paul's saying. You've heard the phrase, get your mind out of the gutter. That's the opposite of this instruction. Get your mind out of the gutter and look higher, look to God, and fill your mind with things that are honorable, noble, lofty, elevated, things that will lift us up. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, and whatever is just. The word just here is it's talking about what is upright. It's talking about things that meet God's standard of right and wrong. There's an absolute truth, and because of that, there's an absolute definition of here's what's right and here's what's wrong. And God, who's absolute, has made those definitions, has declared those things. And so because of that, there's a standard of God's justice that's supposed to be in the world. Sin is crowded that out, has distorted that, has ruined that in so many ways, but there's a standard of justice that only comes from God. He says, fill your minds with thoughts that are just. Think about those kinds of things. It meets God's standard. It's, it's the idea of balanced scales, that there's a standard by which we measure everything, and God's standard of what's right is how we should measure everything, and so we fill our minds with things that balance out the scales so that we're on par with thinking about the things that God is all about, the things that God says are his standard, the, the part of his law. It conforms to that. Whatever is true and honorable and just, and then he says whatever is pure. What, that word pure is the same word root that we get the word holy or even the same idea of sanctification which literally means set apart it's different this should make so much sense to us because we know that the world is giving us a message that's not pure that's not holy 
There's, those messages are in our face all the time. And what God does is he's calling us to live a life that's different. And that starts in how we think. It starts in our brain. How we think about the world. How we choose to fill our mind with things that are pure, holy, set apart, different, wholesome, virtuous. That's the idea of filling your mind with things that are pure. So Paul gave a, hey, here's, here's the things you need to be thinking about. It's a very positive list of things that we need to be thinking about. And he left out the negative because the negative is assumed and implied. So if I'm filling my mind with things that are pure, if that's what I want to do, if I'm going to take him up on that, I'm going to pursue things and think about things and meditate on things that are pure, then I'm going to have to create some kind of thing in my life, some kind of discipline, some kind of mental bouncer that rejects the impure thoughts i got to figure those things out. I've got to set some parameters. I've got to get some accountability in place so that when impure thoughts come in, I know that I can reject that and move it to the side. I've got to exercise some kind of censorship in my mind. I've got I've to censor these thoughts so that I can fill my mind with thoughts that are pure, which means that today's message is not a like, hey, here's some legalistic rules for you to follow. Don't be watching these shows. Don't be listening to this kind of music. Don't do this. Don't do that. There's all kinds of media that we could say, don't do these things. Paul doesn't do that. He says, fill your mind with things that are wholesome, virtuous, true, honorable. And so it's not about that. It's about pursuing the things that God would say is pure. It's filling our mind with those kinds of things. And what that means, just by following this thing out, is that there's going to be some things you might need to cut out. There's going to be some things that you're going to decide, that's not helping me. That's not profitable. That's not filling my mind with pure thoughts, and so I need to eliminate that. And, and the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to show us what that looks like, to teach us what that looks like. So I don't have to give you a list of all the things we don't do. You go, hey, I have a standard here. God wants me to fill my, my mind with thoughts that are pure, so the impure thoughts need to go. And what is it that's bringing impure thoughts into your mind? Maybe you need to cut that out, cut it back, cut it off, something. Because here's what he's saying. Whatever is pure, think about these things. Then he says whatever is lovely. That word lovely means pleasing or attractive or beautiful. But it's according to God's standard of beauty. What would God declare as attractive and pleasing and beautiful? Think about those things. Fill your mind with the things that God declares are lovely and beautiful. And the next word he says is whatever is commendable. That word commendable means well spoken of or highly regarded or another translation says good repute. It's kind of this idea that if your thoughts were broadcast up on the screen right here, if all of your thoughts were up there, would people say good things about you or would they think pretty questionable thoughts about you? Are your thoughts dignified? Are they, are they highly regarded? Or would you be well spoken of if your thoughts were revealed to everybody? And so fill your mind with thoughts that are commendable. Fill your mind with thoughts that if they were revealed would be well spoken of, highly regarded, of good repute, good reputation, good report. Commendable things. And then as he's doing these whatevers, he changes the wording on these last two. And he says, if there is anything worthy of praise or if, is, if there is anything in if there is any excellence, the first one he says, and it's almost like he's just throwing out a catch-all. I've given you some things to think about, but then he realizes, I'm not going to give you everything. I'm not going to give you every single thing that you ought to be thinking about. So he just says, hey, if there's anything excellent, think about that. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about that. So it's the same concept. It's the whatever. Whatever is excellent, fill your mind with that. 
Whatever's excellent, like give yourself to that. Fill your mind. Meditate on the things that are excellent, which basically means the things that are best. Don't settle for worthless thoughts. Don't fill your minds with worthless things. It won't lead you where you want to go. It doesn't bring you the purpose, meaning, satisfaction, joy that you're looking for. Fill your minds with things that are excellent. Look for the best things and meditate on those. If there's anything worthy of praise, that worthy of praise is, we know what is worthy of praise. God is the only one that's ultimately worthy of praise, but it's the idea of what would God declare as commendable? What would God declare as praiseworthy? And think about those things. What would be applauded and praised in the presence of God? What are the thoughts that we can have that are worthy of praise, that are leading us to think these kinds of things? It's a pretty good list. It's, a, it, it, it's packed with all the stuff for us to kind of chew on and think about. And so Paul throws down the list of all the whatevers, and then he gives us a command. He gives us the instruction, and the command is in the last phrase of verse 8. It says, think about these things. And the word think there really means ponder. The command is to ponder on these things. And ponder is a better word. It's not one we use a whole lot, but it's a better word because it, it kind of means we're going to stop down and we're going to really think about it. We're going to contemplate on this. That's what pondering looks like. It's, I'm going to give some time and attention to thinking through this. There's an assessing that comes with pondering. As we're thinking about all the thoughts that we could be thinking, there's an assessing as we're pondering, like, no, that's not helpful, I'm going to discard that. No, that's not good, I'm going to put that out. That's what pondering looks like. It's actually the, the root word of logic, and it's kind of even kind of hints towards log- logical thought process, like, like a math problem, which, man, I'm allergic to math. But this is kind of like a math problem that you just, man, you're like, oh, I'm going to have to stop and think about this for a second, or I'm going to have to call a friend or something. But it's that kind of... Hey, the bus is leaving Dallas at 8 p.m., and it's going to be traveling west at 70 miles per hour for the first five hours, and then it's going to change and start traveling 62 miles per hour for the next three hours. And when it gets to this destination, how far has it traveled, and what color shirt is the bus driver wearing? It's that kind of math problem. And you're like, ooh, I'm going to have to ponder this for a while. I'm going to have to stop and think about what this is. That's what, that's what this is talking about. It's like stop down and think about these things. Ponder these things. Now, I'm allergic to math because I was an English major, and I'm wired that way. And I try not to do the whole English grammar thing every now and then, but sometimes you just have to because it's helpful. So I'm going to nerd out just a little bit. Just stay with me, okay? This word ponder, this word think, is a present active imperative. How many of you uh, just lose? Okay, school started. You're going to need this. Present active imperative. That form of that verb is present, which means it's continuous. It's always the case. When Paul said it, it was true that day, and it's true for us today, and it'll be true for us tomorrow. We need to be thinking about these things always. It's active, which means it requires us to do it. It requires us to take action. It requires us to pursue these kinds of thoughts, to fill our minds with these things. And it's imperative, which means it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Paul isn't saying, hey, you should maybe try this. Might we go? No, he's saying, think about these things. Fill your mind with these things. You want the life that God's called you to? Fill your mind with these things. It's a command that he's giving us. A present always command, an active command that we're always pursuing, which means that this is the source of all the different things that he's telling us. 
Whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise, the Bible is the absolute ultimate source for those things. And so if we're going to be actively pursuing these, these things and filling our mind with these things, we have to be actively studying God's Word. We have to be showing up here and sitting under the teaching of God's Word. We have to be opening God's word and reading it for ourselves and, and, and understanding it. We have to get our kids, get your kids to this Team Howard thing so they can learn the tools to learn how to study God's word because this is the source of all these things. Fill your mind with these things, fill your mind with God's word. We have to learn to teach ourselves and preach God's word to ourselves because really the gospel message, what Jesus has done for us, is the ultimate source of everything true and honorable and just and pure commendable, praiseworthy, all those things. It's all lovely. It comes from him. So we look to Jesus and we look to the gospel and I see the truth of that. I see the, all the qualities in that and then I begin to tell myself that and remind myself of that because of all the lies that are trying to creep in. I'm like, no, that's not the truth. I know what the truth is. It comes from the gospel. And so I teach myself, I preach, my, myself to the, preach the gospel to myself. We're doing that all the time. We should be actively doing that all the time. We should be memorizing scripture, hide God's word in my heart so I won't sin against God, so I'll live the way that he wants me to live. And so we're pondering these things, like really, really giving it intense focus and concentration is what he's, what he's talking about. No, you guys get mail? You still get mail at your house or have you figured out a way to cut that off? Um, mail used to be such a big deal, right? It used to be so exciting to see the mailman. And the mailman's not that exciting anymore because we don't really get stuff that we ask for in our mailbox anymore. So it's not, mailman's, him coming or her coming, whatever, it's not that exciting anymore. That Amazon guy, now that's a whole different story when he pulls up in that band. But we get mail and like, most of you have like a basket or a bag or a stack of this somewhere on your counter of all the different things you get. It's like ads that you didn't even sign up for. You don't even know how you're getting. Sometimes I get mail that's not even for me in my mailbox. That's just how good the postal service works. And so I get mail from all over the place. I call in college. My kid's are already in college. I don't need that. I get ads, all kinds of stuff that I don't care about. I don't know if you know this or not, but every now and then I get a call and you can actually get a letter in the mail that you can extend your car's warranty. It's true, and some of you probably, probably need to consider that, but I don't. I just throw it away because we get all these kinds of different things. It's junk mail. I, I get a, you know, some kind of insurance statement. Uh, who cares about that? Like all these different kinds of things come in the mail, and I just reject them. I don't like that bank. I don't like their commercials, whatever, right? I, I don't need another home warranty. I've been living there eight years. So, and you just, that's how you sort the mail. I don't need that. There's so much stuff that we just throw away. I don't even open it. It just goes right from the mailbox into the house, into the trash. Like, can we just cut this out some way? And then I'll be sorting through the mail every now and then, and I'll pull something out like this. And that's the Shields catalog. <laughs> Have you been to Shields? I asked Scott Sutton if he had been there. He said he was there yesterday, and he called it the promised land. And I, I was like, he's not wrong. And I get the Shields catalog, and it, man, everything kind of stops. I'm like, oh, wait, I don't need this other mail. And I stop, and I move over to the counter. My wife has seen me do this. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I got this, and I need to look at it. I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. That's a new scope. I might need that, but I can't afford that. Oh, look, they have a new camo pattern. I bet the deer haven't even seen that one. <laughs> do you see what I did there? So, and man, I... I get this catalog and I ponder it. 
I give it some time and attention. Because this is like this is what I want to think about. This is the kind of mail I need. More of this, less of that. <laughs> and I do that because I want you to think about that the next time you sort through the mail. You got all these different thoughts coming your way. You got all these different messages, all the different media outlets, everything's trying to make us think a certain way. And you need to discard some of that. Some of you don't even need to open it. It needs to go right to the trash. Don't even open it. Don't even look at it. Don't even worry about it. But Paul's saying, but there's some things, man, that you need to stop and you need to ponder. You need to think about these things. You need to really lean in and you need to give it some time and some meditation and some memorization, all those things, because they're, they're going to put you on the path to joy and peace, all the things that we're looking for. So ponder these things. Now, <laughs> this is not a message about positive thinking. That's not the goal. Hey, think positive thoughts and you'll be so happy. No, this is a, always something leading to an ultimate goal with Paul. And the ultimate goal is how we live our lives following Jesus and how we conform to the image of Jesus. And so what he says in verse 9 connects all this right thinking to right living. Because in verse 9 what he's going to say is, practice these things, that we're going to ponder the things that are good and true and honorable and, and, and all this work, and then it's going to show up in how we live our lives. We're going to begin to practice these things. I'm not talking about practice trying to figure it out. I'm talking about put into practice in our lives the things that we're thinking about, which is how this whole thing works. John MacArthur says, the Bible leaves no doubt that people's lives are the product of their thoughts. It's all throughout the Bible. How we're thinking shows up in how we're living. Romans 12 says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. How I think shows up in my life. It transforms me inside out transformation. Change my view, change my thoughts, shows up in my life. That's Paul's goal for us. Here's what he says in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. It's like he, he grabbed every word he could think of of the ways that we take in information. Hey, you've learned this from me. You've received it. Because there's a difference between learning something and receiving it as truth, right? I can learn some things that I don't believe are true. But I learn this and I receive it as truth from God's word. And then he says, oh, by the way, you've heard it and you've seen it in me. So I've got an example there as well. And all the ways that we learn. We learn from God's word. We learn from the teaching of God's word, from reading God's word. We receive it as true. And then we have community that we're in. So we see other people living this out or trying to live this out. And they're examples for us. There ought to always be someone that you're looking to a little bit ahead of you. Always ought to be someone behind you that you're kind of mentoring and showing them an example. No matter what stage you're in, that should be true. That we're somebody you can see this in. Somebody that you can hear this in. And as you do that, we begin to practice these things. And so what it seems like Paul is doing in these two verses is saying, pondering leads to practicing. The more we fill our mind with these good, true, honorable thoughts, the more it'll show up in our lives. And really that happens when you just ponder the gospel. When you ponder the truth of who God is and Jesus and the truth of his word, it shows up. Let me, let me just walk you through a couple examples. So when you ponder the love that Jesus has for you, when you stop down and think about his death on the cross for you to rescue you and me, because of his love, he did that. And the more you meditate on that, the more you ponder his love, what does it do? It produces love in our hearts for God and for others. It's not me figuring out how to love better. 
I'm just thinking about how much Jesus loved me, and it shows up in how I treat others. It shows up in how I serve him and follow him. When I think about what Philippians has talked about, about the mindset of Christ, that uh, we should not consider uh, ourselves as more important. We should consider others more important than, or more significant than ourselves. Look to others' interests, not just our own. And he says, this is because what Jesus did. And the more I ponder that Jesus put my needs first when he died on that cross, not my will, but your will, the more I meditate on that and think about that, it produces in me the ability to consider others more significant because of what Jesus did. When I think about his generosity, when I ponder how he was rich, but he left heaven and he became poor, took on flesh, humbled himself, became a man, lived on this earth, all the things so that you and I, because of Jesus, could become rich eternally in the things of God. When I ponder what Jesus did, his generosity, it produces in me a generous heart. That's what it looks like for pondering to turn into practicing. Pondering leads to practicing. And so the challenge for us is to fill our mind with these things so that God works in our lives through his spirit to empower us to live it out so that we begin to live a life because of Jesus and because of his power that's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. And that is his goal for us. And he's provided everything for us to do that. Let's, let's be the people. Let's be known as a church that fills our minds with these things so that God transforms us and we live, shine this light into this dark world so they see God and they see how great he is for his glory and for our joy.